just yesterday in our reading plan, we were reading about um, the donkey that the Lord used to literally speak to Balaam. And I will tell you, every time I hear that story, I just giggle and I just gain so much confidence knowing that if the Lord would use a donkey to talk to someone, you know, then I know he can use me. And so, Father, I submit myself to you and I just ask you, Lord, to have your way in this uh, fellowship tonight. Deb, would you pray for us to begin our meeting tonight? Amen. Glory to God. Oh, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you for you are the almighty King and the Lord of Lord and the Prince of Peace. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come here every Monday night and feed off your word and sit at the table with you, Lord God, and just learn from you, Father, all the things that you are unpacking and teaching us about your word today. Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you because we know that you are the one true God. You are the only king. You are the mighty one. You are the great I am. And Father, we glorify your name tonight and we thank you and we just say hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty that is and was and is to be. Be with us tonight as we are on this line, Lord, and that you will open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts, Lord God, that every word that is spoken tonight will fall on fallow ground and grow deep, deep roots in our hearts, Lord. And we just bless you and we just praise you, Lord God. We thank you for Krista, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you will just Give her the words that you have already given her, Lord, and they will just flow through her like the rivers of living water, Lord God. And Lord, that we will receive it and we will be ready to receive it, Lord God, for we are here, open, ready to receive the bread that you have given us today, the fresh manna from you today, Lord God. So Father, I ask that you bless each and every person on this line tonight, Lord God. And Lord, that we will be ready, willing, and just wanting to accept everything that you have for us tonight, Lord God, because we praise you and we love you. In the mighty name of Yeshua, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Deb. Well, I wanted to start um, just pointing out a couple things. You know, some people say that there's only one covenant in the whole Bible, and they call it the covenant of grace. But I wanted to make sure everyone understands that that particular phrase is not found anywhere in scripture. There's also those who say that there are only two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. But that's not correct either. And sometimes when we think like that, it can cause people to dismiss, you know, the entire Old Testament. And when that happens, we can miss out on understanding the Bible um, and instead end up taking scripture out of context and twisting its true meaning. And so I wanna talk with you about the multiple covenants that are in the Bible. Um, covenant isn't a word that we tend to use in our ordinary society. Uh, the word we typically use for a legal agreement is a contract. And Jed mentioned last week that there's a huge difference between um, a covenant and a contract. Uh, you can never have a contract with God. But you'd be amazed how many people try to get into an agreement with him that's something like a contract when they say things like, I'll do this if you do that. Well, a covenant is very different. And so I want to give you a few fundamentals. And you may even want to um, grab a piece of paper and a pen because I'm going to um, go through some things that you really might want to chew on 
um, down, down the road or even go back and watch the video again because we will put this out afterwards. But here's the fundamentals that I want to give you is that a covenant is made entirely by one party. Um, the, the other party in the covenant only has two choices, to accept the terms or to reject them. They can't change the terms. And God is a covenant-making God, and he's a covenant-keeping God. And this is why I'm quite sure that the promised land still belongs to the descendants of Abraham, because God promised it to them. And this, that particular issue, is the biggest factor in the whole Middle East political situation, the dispute over the land of, uh, of Israel. Also, I want to point out as a fundamental that we can't have any relationship with God at all until we enter into his covenant. Every covenant is based on promises. Another point is our side of the covenant is limited to the words, I will. So it's a promise that's given in response to a proposal. The promise would be, I'm saying, I will do that in response to your proposal. And so God keeps his word. The Bible says he's not a man that he should lie. He can't tell a lie and he won't break his promises. And God seals his covenants in different ways. And we see that in scripture. Sometimes it's with blood, like he did in his covenant with Abraham and in the new covenant when he sealed it with the blood of Jesus. And some are sealed with oaths and swearing upon his name. In the covenant with Abraham, he swore by his own name to keep the covenant. There are five covenants in the Bible, and all five are found in the Old and the New Testament, but only one of them is called the Old Covenant. Um, so the first one, they're all up on the screen for you. The first one's the Noa Noahic Covenant. The second is Abrahamic, and it was to Abraham, his sons and his descendants. The third one was with Moses. Um, it was made on Mount Sinai when he married the nation of Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. The fourth one is the Davidic covenant with King David. And we're about to get into that as we continue in scriptures. It will start in 2 Samuel. And then the fifth one is the Messianic or the new covenant with Christ. And so there's six important questions when we see a covenant. Who was it with? Because context is so important when we're reading scripture we, to better understand what is God saying? What is it about? How does it apply? We need to ask some of these things. What does God promise? What does he say that he's going to do? What is expected from the humans that he's making covenant with? So what are the conditions? What's the penalty if the conditions aren't kept? How long was it intended to last? Why did he make the covenant in the first place? What's the purpose? And so at the heart of every covenant lies, you know, like I said before, a promise, or in some cases, a number of promises. And so do you think marriage is a contract or a covenant? Uh, obviously, I'm going to continue. It's a rhetorical question. I, but some of you, you know, might have the wrong answer. I don't know. But the answer truly for most of the world today is that the world views marriage as a contract. But God does consider marriage as a covenant. You know, he witnesses all marriage vows, whether you're in a church building or anywhere else. Um, another example of a covenant is a last will and testament. No one forces you to make a will. You can't make conditions in it. Um, of course, you can decide who gets what, but there's really not conditions that you can make on the other people. And so it does, but it does nothing until you die. And then it becomes effective immediately. And in the New Testament, until Jesus died, the Bible said that the new covenant could not even come into effect 
So he had to die first. And so when God says, I will, he means it. It's a guarantee. But we'll see that there are some covenants that he's made that are conditional. We'll see in these particular ones that we're going to go through that if we don't hold up our end, it doesn't mean that the covenant is canceled, but it means that the blessing that we would have received might be replaced by a curse, essentially. And it's just what the scriptures say. There are some root purposes of God's covenants. Number one, survival, selection, security, sovereignty, and salvation. And the only covenant with the purpose of salvation is the new covenant. The previous uh, four covenants were preparing us for salvation. And so I want us to look at the first four tonight. Actually, we're going to look at all five, but we'll start with the first four. And I also wanted to point out, did you even know that four of the five covenants are actually still in operation today? And I think you're going to see that as we come to the end of our meeting tonight, as we go through these. But the first one is the Noahic covenant. So the Noahic covenant is still in operation. And we know that because we still see a rainbow in the sky to show us that. And in the days of Noah, Genesis chapter six says that the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them and put them on the earth and it broke his heart. And the Lord said, I'll destroy every living thing because he was sorry that he ever made them. But then it goes on to say that Noah found favor with the Lord. So Noah obeyed God and he builds an ark. And God had warned the people through a man named Methuselah, who was one of the oldest people that we find in the Bible. And Methuselah was the son of the prophet Enoch. And his name um, meant when he dies, it will happen. That's what Methuselah's name meant. And Noah was actually Methuselah's grandson. So it had never rained on the earth until the day of the flood. And the Bible tells us that the Lord watered the earth from below the surface until then. But Methuselah died right before the flood at 969 years of age. And it was shortly after his death that it started to rain. And so the answer to who the covenant uh, was with, um, that came after the flood. And God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah, and the whole human race uh, and all of the future generations. So what we see is that this covenant is an international covenant because it's made with everyone. And so here's the question of one of the ones we have up here is what was being offered? What was the purpose? And the purpose is survival to preserve the human race. He also said that there would be spring, summer, and winter. So he's making sure, ensuring that we have seasons for survival. And then the promise that he made was that he would never do it again. So there were two things that he expected of humanity in this covenant. And they were two things without conditions, meaning that they were voluntary. And the first one was, he said that animals are not to be treated as sacred. He's basically, well, he was saying you can eat meat, but you must be sure, he goes on to say that the animal is dead and that it doesn't have any of its lifeblood left in it. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, all the animals of the earth. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables, but you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. So we're instructed to always drain an animal's blood 
before eating it because the blood is what gives the animal life. And I'll tell you, this is like a real personal thing to me when I saw this in the word of God, like when they bring my steak out and it's got blood in it, I'm like, oh, I can't do it, can't do it. I have to send it back. I hate to be rude, but that particular thing has got to go back. Anyway, the second thing was to preserve the sanctity of human life. God expected us to treat human life as sacred. Therefore, he says, I expect you to take away the life of a murderer. Now that's hard for some people to understand and comprehend, but here's what the verse says. He says, this is God, and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. Anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. So the Lord is saying that human life is sacred because we're made in the image of God. And I read something a little while ago that reflected on this passage of scripture. And the point that was being made in the article um, was basically that when we abolished the death penalty, that's when the door was open to abortion in our society because our society no longer viewed human life as sacred. And it really is a good point. And it will make you think because there are many people that are against the death penalty because they feel life is sacred. But it was God that deemed that the life of a murderer was to be taken because that person took a life um, that they had no right to take. So it's this is not an endorsement of any political position on the issue. It's just plainly the word of God. And so when we look at on this Noahic covet, covenant, what was the penalty? There was no penalty given. So there, the, there were expectations, these two things, but there were no conditions. And then how long did it last? As long as the earth remains. And God said, this is the token, visible symbol, memorial of the solemn covenant, which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I set my rainbow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. When the rainbow is in the clouds and I look at it, I will solemnly remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So it's God's covenant ring. He doesn't say, when you see the rainbow, remember the promise, like you're supposed to remember it. He says, when I see the rainbow, I'll remember my promise to keep the human race alive. So the purpose in this covenant is survival because God wants a family and he's determined to have a large family. But the Noahic covenant by itself will not give God a family. It will give him a potential family, but not an actual one because this covenant does not provide salvation. It provides the survival of humanity. All right, we're at the second covenant, which is the Abrahamic covenant. Now this covenant also is still in operation today. The covenant is defined by the Lord declaring, I will. And it was a national covenant with the people of Israel, but it's international in its effect because it is extended by faith. And so the question is, who was this covenant with? Well, God made this Abrahamic covenant with Abraham. And a few years later, he repeated it to Isaac. Then he repeated it again with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, whose name later became Israel. And he gave his name, Israel, to the nation of his chosen people. And in this covenant, let's look at what did God promise? 
The first part of the promise was a promise of physical seed, of offspring. God said to Abraham he would make him into a great nation and that he would give him a land to live in. He promised to give them the deed to the land. He even spells it out in scripture, the boundary lines. And so in Deuteronomy alone, the Lord reiterated these land promises to Israel nearly 70 times. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. But the promise was also international. Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. I will bless those who bless you and curse those, and he's speaking of Israel, and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So this relates to our attitude towards the Jews and Israel. To treat them with contempt means to lightly esteem, basically to think that they're worthless, to not even care about them, just ignore them, to treat them with contempt. So we need to care about what the Lord cares about. And if we don't care, we need to ask the Lord to help us care. You know, he can change the attitude of our heart, but our attitude to the people that he has chosen as his people will determine his attitude to us according to scripture. <clears throat> and do you know that we truly owe the Jewish people so much? You know, the Bible says that our salvation has come to us because of them. And have you ever considered that we wouldn't even have a Bible but for the Jewish people? There wouldn't be a church without the Jews. Everything that I value the most, I owe to the Jewish people. So right there is the international side of the Abrahamic covenant. When it says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm blessed because of them. So God was so serious about this promise, this everlasting covenant with Abraham, that he was swearing upon himself. In essence, he was saying that he would destroy himself um, before he would break this promise. And the interesting thing is that Abraham never owned the land. You know, he left it in his will, basically, to his son Isaac. And then Isaac never owned it. He left it in his will to his son Jake, uh, Jacob. And then they passed down the deed from generation to generation. You know, that's, a, that's faith uh, to not have something in your possession, but something that you've been promised and continue to share that in these generations that continue coming down. But the condition in this Abrahamic covenant um, was the sign of circumcision uh, on the reproductive organ of the men. This was the national, national speaking of Israel only, this was the national expectation for the nation of Israel and the Hebrew people. And this covenant was not a covenant of salvation. It was a covenant of selection. God was choosing Israel as his special people, holy, set apart, and consecrated to himself. Um, but the penalty, if a male from uh, any of the 12 tribes was not circumcised, the Lord said that they were to be cut off from the nation forever. And so we also find the length of this covenant in Genesis 17, and it's up on your screen now. The Lord God said, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And so the purpose was that God wanted a kingdom of priests on the earth. And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the Israelites. This is 
in Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verse 6. This verse in Exodus is a hermeneutical reference, meaning that this is the first reference to a passage that we find also in the New Testament. Hermeneutical means um, essentially going back to the first time that you would have seen it, um, to extrapolate the intent or the meaning. So this exact same scripture is repeated again in 1 Peter chapter 2, and now it applies not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, for those who have been adopted and grafted into Israel as God's chosen people, but the promise still remains for Israel. Remember, the Bible says, even in the New Testament, to the Jew first, we can't rob them of their promises just because they've been given to us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies, the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's New Testament, but does that sound familiar? Anything like Exodus, right? And again, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, we see that God's purpose has not changed. This is at the very end of the book. It says right here, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So the purpose in the priesthood was that God wanted a people through whom he could communicate to the whole world. And he placed Israel in the middle of the world in the promised land to demonstrate how blessed people are if they live God's way and how cursed they are if they don't. And the Jews have been a demonstration of both down through the centuries. They are a living demonstration of God to the world. In fact, if you study the history of the Jews and then try to explain it without God, it's impossible. So we're coming to the third covenant and it's the Mosaic covenant. Uh, this is a national covenant, which means that it was made with Israel only. And so this covenant was defined by, if you, then I. And it was established 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant was given. And so let's ask, who was it with? Well, I just said that, but it was made with Moses and the 12 tribes of Israel only. It was a national covenant that included 613 laws for the Jews. It was given to them at Mount Sinai after God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And God redeemed them first, and then he made his covenant with them. So therefore, it's a covenant of God's grace, and it's a covenant of security. And you might have noticed when you were reading through the Ten Commandments that they all revolve around respect. The first four commandments are about respect for God, and the last six are respect for people. The Ten Commandments were the first legal collection. They were followed by what's known as um, the covenant that's found in Exodus. It's known as the Book of the Covenant, and that's found in Exodus, but it's detailing the law relating to community life as well as laws that centered on worship life for Israel. So it wasn't just 10 commandments. There were actually 613 rules and regulations illustrating the right way to live before God. And what was the promise? Well, glad you asked. God was promising to provide and to protect them from enemies once they got into the land and occupied it. And then when we ask what was expected of them, well, this one was a two-sided legal agreement 
between the Lord and all of Israel. Israel was expected to live God's way and keep his laws. He instructed them how to live, and if they were obedient, they would be blessed with health and prosperity. But if they disobeyed, he would curse them. He laid that all out very plainly in Deuteronomy 28. And Israel has been more cursed by God than any other nation on the earth. They've been cursed with disasters to their health. Crops were destroyed by drought, earthquakes, and on and on. But after those things, there was even occupation in their land by enemy troops. And then the ultimate punishment was being kicked out of the land uh, altogether. And so God made it very clear, though, that when they lost the land, that he would always bring them back when his anger over their disobedience and their rebellion subsided. He's a merciful God, you know, he, but there, he is also a God of justice. He gets angry, but he shows mercy and he is love. But we see the fullness of who God is through these scriptures. You know, Jesus came as a lamb, but he's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back as the judge. So we need to really understand the character of God. And we're seeing this as we, as we watch this unfold. God has not changed. Scripture tells us that he's like a rock. He changeth not. So the first Jews, they actually began coming back to occupy the land in 1875. And when they arrived, it began to rain. And that's significant, and I'll kind of point out why. But in 1948, when Israel was established as a nation, they were born in just one day, just as the Lord said in prophecy that he would do. They had record rainfall. It's historically recorded. And an interesting thing is that every time Jews return to the land, their rainfall increases. And the Bible reveals that when God wanted to bless Israel, he would send rain. When he was punishing Israel, they would have a drought. So rain is a symbol of blessing over Israel. And as Gentiles, the mosaic, this Mosaic covenant, it is not for us, but it is good for us to study it. And God was teaching his people through it how serious it was that he had chosen them to teach the world about him. Within these regulations that they were given, there was a requirement not only to possess the land, but to remain in it. And now Israel, listen carefully to these decrees and regulations that I am about to teach you. Obey them so that you may live. So you may enter and occupy the land the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add to or subtract from these commands I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you. I have to say, I love that part where he says, don't add anything to it. Don't subtract. You know, we tend to kind of try to enhance our version of things sometimes. And that's really what Israel did. And that's where we see how the Pharisees got off track. But anyway, God uses Israel to show the whole world, if you do God's will and live God's way, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you'll be cursed. And right now in our generation, we are witnessing the blessing of God over Israel and his faithfulness to keep his word to his people thousands of years after he originally made these promises. He has planted them back in the land and he is causing them to prosper more than they did in ancient times, just as he said that he would. And we are literally witnessing it. And so back to the covenant, what is the duration of this covenant? Uh, that's the question. And it was given until Christ came. So we see a scripture in the New Testament 
Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So that basically is telling us the Mosaic covenant no longer applies. It's been replaced with the new covenant. So our final question to resolve is what was the purpose of the Mosaic covenant? And the purpose of the Mosaic covenant was for um, a visible demonstration of divine righteousness. Live the right way and divine righteousness blesses you. Live the wrong way and divine righteousness curses you. Now we're at the Davidic covenant, covenant number four. And this covenant is still in operation today. So the message of this covenant was delivered to King David through the prophet Nathan. And you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 to 17. And it's both national and international in its effect. This is a covenant of sovereignty. You know, we're actually not made for democracy, believe it or not. Democracy is not God's idea for human government. It's about a benevolent uh, autocracy, which is a system of government, government by one person with absolute power. It's about kingdoms. In a kingdom, there are no elections, no votes, no governmental debates. It's ruled by one person who blesses those who keep the law and punishes those who don't. Israel, they had more bad kings that we're going to continue to read about as we go on, but they had more bad kings than good kings. Bad kings reigned uh, for an average of five years and good kings an average of 33 years. And I think that's a little bit interesting because the king of kings, he came here and he lived 33 years on the earth and he claimed when he came that the kingdom had come. So wouldn't you like to live in a kingdom where there was no vote, no election, no debates, and the king rules? Well, I think you would if it was the right king. You know, a king that had no self-interest and cared for the poor. You know, Jesus, the Jew, is the best king of all. And there'll be a day that he comes to rule and to reign over the whole world on, on the physical earth during what the Bible calls the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. And it will be, the purpose in it is to show Israel and the world what it's like reigning under the right king. And so the promise in this Davidic covenant um, is a dynasty. You know, it was sons who would reign in King David's place. God promised to establish his throne eternally. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this answers the question of duration. This covenant, the Davidic covenant, is everlasting as well. This promise is also unconditional. It does not depend on David or Israel's obedience. The angel said to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So it's the covenant of David. Have you noticed how often Jesus was called son of David? The Davidic covenant is a vital part of the Christian faith. 2 Samuel 7 verse 10 begins with reiterating the land covenant. 
It says, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Then looking into verse 16, it says, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. So this covenant will be fulfilled when Jesus, a descendant of the line of David, takes the throne of David in Jerusalem. This is why the gospel of Matthew begins in chapter one, verse one, and it says this, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. This is also why Peter preached in Acts chapter two, that Jesus was a fulfillment of God's covenant with David. And so I'd like to see if someone could read this uh, for me. Um, Arnetta, would you mind reading what's up on the screen? Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. So it's through David that the land promises of the Abrahamic covenant and the promises of a Davidic king find their fulfillment together in Christ. And now we come to the fifth covenant, the Messianic covenant, also referred to as the new covenant. And this covenant is both, it's in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was announced in the Old Testament and it was achieved in the New Testament by the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was announced by the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. All of them were speaking hundreds of years before the New Testament. Uh, ever even came into existence. Jeremiah, he gave a picture of what the new covenant would be like. And then Isaiah, he foretold who the new covenant would be with and who would establish it. And then Ezekiel, he came along and he told how it's going to work. And so in Jeremiah, uh, there were three things he said would be a part of this new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Inclination was one. In our human nature, we're inclined to be rebellious. We have an unrighteous heart. And so when we're told to do something, we're inclined to do the opposite. The second was intimacy. You'll know God well enough to know how he feels. And the third was innocence. Sins will be remembered no more. Forgiveness and grace become a part of the equation. Okay, the day is coming, says the Lord. But I will make a new covenant with, with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made 
with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their own God and they will be my people and they will not teach their neighbors nor will they teach their relatives saying, you know the Lord, the Lord for the least to the greatest. And you will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. It is the Lord who provides the sun to light the day and the moon and stars at night and who stirs the seas into roaring waves. His name is the Lord of heaven's armies. And this is what he says. I am likely to reject my people, Israel, as I am to abolish the laws of nature. This is what the Lord says, just as the heavens cannot be measured and the foundations of the earth cannot be explored. So I will not consider casting them away for the evil they have done. I just think that's so incredible that the Lord has said, I am just as likely to reject them as I am to abolish the laws of nature which you know he's not going to do. He's saying, you can count on it. These are my people. These will always be my people. Praise the Lord. You know, and, and also I want you to notice in this new covenant, he says, the days are coming through this prophet Jeremiah when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And what we're going to find as we're going through scriptures, we're going to find that there comes a time where Israel, the tribes get divided into the Northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom. So I'm not going to unpack that tonight, but it becomes uh, Israel is one of the kingdoms and Judah is the other kingdom. Those are the two divided kingdoms that make up the 12 tribes together. But that's who it says he's making the covenant with. He didn't say I'm making it with Gentiles. We get grafted in to the promises that were originally for the Jews. That's why the Bible tells us in the New Testament that you've been grafted in to the original olive branch, not to boast. Don't be haughty, but fear, because if he didn't spare the original branches, he might not spare you either. We've got to really take all of this in the fullness of what scripture is telling us, but realize right here, this is beautiful what we see. This is the new covenant with his bride, and his bride is Israel, and we are adopted and grafted in, and that's why the Bible tells us that not all Israel is of Israel, because we are the true sons and daughters of the kingdom are the ones that are heirs of the promise, which only comes through the seed of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. We have to come by faith, and he's the father of our faith, because he was the first one to believe everything that God said, and I think that's important, too, to just remind and reiterate that it's not just believing in God. You know, that's not what counted Abraham as righteous as righteous before him. It's that he believed everything God said. That's what was counted as righteousness, because he just believed that everything that the Lord said was going to happen. And so as much as we like to see the best in people, I'm just continuing on here um, from the, this covenant that we're in, the, the new covenant, we're truly not good people. Um, that are occasionally being bad. We're actually, the Bible says we're evil people that are occasionally doing good. Because Jesus said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
You know, think about it. You never have to teach your children to tell lies. You have to teach them to tell the truth. And so we need a new inclination. The Lord must incline our hearts to keep this law and give us a desire to do it. And Jeremiah said that this would be a part of the new covenant, that he would write his laws upon our heart, inclining us to do good. And it will be based on a personal knowledge of God. You'll know God well enough to know when you've grieved him. That's why he said, it'll no longer be that you have to hear it from your neighbor. Or you have to teach it to somebody. You're going to know it. He's putting this in our heart. You're going to know when he's upset. And third, he remembers sin no more. When we remember, we can't forgive ourselves sometimes, but he isn't remembering when we've repented. He says, I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how far the east is from the west? They can't touch. It can't find its way back. So he's giving us restored innocence before him. So this is the internal um, covenant, not external. It's an individual covenant for each person. That's why the Bible said, whosoever believes. This doesn't mean that if your parents are in the new covenant, then you are. You can't be born into this covenant. You aren't adopted into it unless, you know, of course it's by faith. But God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. The prophet Ezekiel he told us how the new covenant would work. He says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. The whole Trinity is involved. What Jeremiah said highlighted the father and his heart. Then we're told Jesus will be the supreme ruler. And in Ezekiel, we see that it'll be done through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling God's people. So I want to recap with where we're at now. We're, we're coming to a close here, but let's recap what we've gone through. The no Noahic covenant, it continues and we benefit from it today. Jesus said God sends the rain on the good and the evil. So every time you see a rainbow, that's the Noahic covenant still in operation today. And it's God reminding himself of his promise that he made to all creation. God's covenant with Abraham still operates and it still stands today. And it's reiterated in Hebrews 6 as an example. It says, for example, there was God's promise to, to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. And in Galatians 3, Paul puts the Mosaic law in its proper place, showing us how it fits into God's purpose of providing salvation for lost sinners. And we read through the entire chapter of Galatians last week. But if you weren't with us, I highly recommend, you know, taking the time to read all of Galatians chapter three. The Davidic covenant, it centers on the son of David being Jesus Christ as the fulfillment. And the only covenant that has been canceled out of these five is the Mosaic. 
And it's the only one that you should think of when you hear the words old covenant, since it's the only one that the Bible says is obsolete. And so if you're in Christ, you too have died to the law, referring to the Mosaic law. And it's a grave mistake to believe that as Christians, that we're finished with the law or finished with any imperative commands. Because remember, the Jews, they had 613 laws under the Mosaic law, but we have actually 1,100 in the new covenant. And we're under royal law, the law of liberty, the law of Christ. And we gladly, with our new hearts, want to keep these laws. We have the inclination now. This is why Jesus said, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. And I'd like to ask someone to read. Terrence, would you read Matthew 5 up on the screen? Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappears, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Phyllis, could you read, if you're available to read, um, what's on the screen from also continuing in Matthew chapter 5? Yes. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. Say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So Jesus told the disciples... The old covenant said you can get divorced. Now I say no divorce. Only death, according to the scripture, ends marriage. Jesus's laws are stricter than the laws of Moses. But Jesus also said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And the reason the burden is light is because Jesus is gentle and loving and merciful. And when we truly come into relationship with him, our desires change because of our love for him. He transforms us in the word, precept upon precept. And it's also important to recognize that God didn't just save me because he loves me. He has written the whole world off. It's in the hands of Satan by God's permission. He told us in Revelation that he's making a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. We've ruined it, basically. Sin has wrecked the whole world. So he's saving people to be a part of the new universe. And above all, these saved people won't be able to pollute or corrupt it. 
This is the reason that we're in a process of sanctification, being made holy, transformed into the image of his son, Jesus. We are on the way of salvation through the new covenant with the hope of being saved on the day of re redemption. Paul said, he who has begun the good work in you is able to bring it to completion. Our part in the process is to abide in Christ, remain in him. The condition to be being kept is to keep trusting, to have continued faith, to continue believing, to go on trusting, to continue obeying. And as long as we're walking in the way of salvation, then the Holy Spirit will bear witness of it. Romans 8, 16 says the spirit himself bears witness within our spirit that we are the children of God. The old covenant was dealing with hearts that were inclined not to obey, but the new covenant will change the heart and incline it to obey. So you actually find yourself wanting to do good, wanting to be right, wanting to obey, wanting to do what he says. You know, that's the new covenant. Moses's covenant never did that. And as Christians, we're not under the law of Moses, but that doesn't mean we're not under any law at all. So I want to make this point. First, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired so much ethical exhortation in the New Testament. And it was Jesus himself who commanded his apostles to make disciples by teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Habits and memories, they can still draw someone back into their former lifestyle. But it explains in scripture the paradox of New Testament teaching. The old man is dead, but he won't lie down. So basically it's saying, kill him off. Put the old lifestyle away and put on the new. Because you've been crucified with Christ and raised with him to newness of life. So the moral appeal can be summed up as, you know, child of God, become what you already are now that you have received from the Lord become who God has intended you to become. And the summation of all of these covenants is that God himself will change his address from heaven to earth and to angelic astonishment. He's going to live with human beings. Revelation 21 verse three says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. This was his objective behind every covenant that he ever made. So I want to encourage you not to be discouraged while we live in enemy territory, to keep your eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus said, and all nations will hate you because you are my followers, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. And I want to close, because we are truly closing now, uh, the wisdom from King Solomon as he completed sharing all of his thoughts on life and the meaning of it all. He left us with a summation in his words, and it was this. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. We'll praise the Lord. That's the end of my diatribe for everyone. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you all hanging in there. I know that was long tonight, but honestly, I feel like um, it was so important that we just truly lay a solid foundation in understanding the covenants of our God, you know, understanding why and 
what's the purpose and who are they for? Because when we can start getting that, we begin to start understanding the story as we're, as it's unfolding. You know, we really are, as we're going through this Bible study, reading the Bible cover to cover together, we're unpacking it, but we're growing in him. We're growing in our understanding. And so I want to open it up for those who may want to share thoughts or any questions or anything that the Spirit, Holy Spirit is saying to you um, after we've run through um, much, you know, a lot. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Krista, I just want to say thank you for taking those five covenants and breaking them down, explaining each one of them out. I think it was very helpful, very useful, and I agree with you. It's important that we have that foundation. Because I was really amazed at the fact uh, that uh, God is a, is a covenant-keeping God. And throughout the five covenants, we are, we are really able to see how um, before God does something to prove to you that he will be faithful, he makes a covenant with you, and then he keeps it. So you could never say anything uh, against God's word. So I'm, I'm really blessed to see um, how God has been faithful throughout the ages from the day he created the world. I, I remember you just saying that, um, that we are really bad people. We are really bad people. We cannot uh, keep the covenant without a new heart given to us by God and him strengthening us through it so that we are able to keep his covenants, you know? And uh, you know, when people often tell me, ask me that why, does God allow uh, bad things to happen to good people? I'm always reminded to tell them that, no, 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 no. Why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? So uh, that, that was a really awesome confirmation. Um, you know, as, as, we, as we go through scripture, I'm thankful for the fact that when the Holy Spirit moves, he will always move in truth and confirm a lot of the things that we all read in the word. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God. And so, you know, we don't see him like they saw him then. We don't hear him like they, they heard him then, but he's still speaking. And so the information we received today is definitely information we all needed to hear. Amen. Amen. So I'm curious if there's anyone who feels that the Lord highlighted something in particular to you as we were going through these covenants, something that might have just been a fresh insight into God's word. Does anybody have anything to share? Well, Krista, I, I would just say that I was just reminded of how Satan comes against God's covenants. I mean, even like uh, the rainbow was specifically for the covenant to Noah and how that's been hijacked by, you know, the LB, LGBTQ group and how the, the covenant for the land, like all, all the people that want to take away Israel's land, um, uh, the Messianic covenant, you know, they want to deny, they, the atheists want to deny Jesus, deny God's word, but yet his, his covenant's not affected. Uh, you know, no matter how much the enemy wants to come against, his covenant stands, and it will. It will throughout all of eternity. I just want to thank the Lord for his ability to keep his covenant because we as humans can't, but, but he can because of his power. So I, I just wanted to say that. Amen. Amen. And I love also how they build upon one another. You know, that's like when we see the purpose, you know, like the, the Noahic uh, was the purpose of survival, you know, and then we see that it's leading us up as God is establishing things to salvation. You know, they all had um, such a unique purpose in them, you know, that God was doing something that was necessary to bring us 
um, into his family. I'm so thankful that he's so compassionate and he looked upon the, his people, the people that he chose, and he realized there was a problem with the covenant. You know, that the people weren't, they didn't have a heart that was righteous. And so in his, because he's a just God, right? You know, he knows that because he's just, probably I would imagine his thought process could have been along the lines of, you know, how can I hold them to a standard that they're not capable of keeping? But now, you know, he's given us what we need to be able to keep it to where we really will be without excuse if we are, if we fail to, if we reject it. And, and to be quite honest, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those uh, who are among the group who only knew of the old and the new covenant. Uh, today is the first day, amen, that I learned about the Noahic covenant, the Davidic covenant. So today was the first day I heard that. And like uh, the previous speaker just said, I don't remember what her name is. Um, yes, I really have to go back and review this video. But uh, what amazed me was that there was a purpose for each covenant. Again, you know, I certainly don't have all the answers. I'm just facilitating. And we're relying on the Holy Spirit to speak through each of us. You know, that's how the church operated in the early days. And I believe it still continues to, to be that way today, that um, the Lord will speak through all of us. So please feel free to, to share um, what might be on your heart from our reading either through the week or something to do with our discussion tonight over the covenants. It just, it just soothes my soul because it reminds me that he is 100% in control, no matter what. Good, bad, evil, evils in the world, he is in control. Yes, he knows evil goes on, but he's still in control. Bad things happen in the world that's just evil and broken, but still he's in control. And that's the one thing that's constant when I share with people about who he is. And that we have to have faith and what that looks like. But his word is always true. And I believe that um, everyone on this call, including myself, we just need to stand within our faith, no matter how bad this world gets, to be the light to this world. Because right now, there's not a lot of light. I have friends that I just, by their words, were strong in faith and everyone's it's like chicken little, the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And I'm like, hmm, I have to share with them. And I have to remind my brothers and sisters that it's only going to get worse. Hang on. It's only going to, it's going to get worse, but we, it's not forever. Don't have a temporal view, have an eternal view on where we're going. Cause this is so temporary. Amen. Well, that's Let's true what you said, Chris, you know, that, um, the Bible tells us in the last days that wickedness will increase in the earth and that what's coming upon the earth, the earth has never experienced, you know, as we come to the end. But it says that the righteous will be refined. And so we have such great hope and, and we really, truly don't have to face dark days in fear. You know, if we know whose we are and and we trust him and fix our eyes, he says he will keep us in perfect peace. I just, you know, and I believe that what these days will do is bring us to a place where our faith will become more than our words. Our faith will be put to the test in that we will have to, through our actions, walk it out. Do we really believe what we say we believe? Amen. I was really refreshed by the Abrahamic covenant because it, um, it isn't believing God, it believe, he believed everything God said. 
And I thought, how many Christians have gone to the place of believing God, stepping out in faith, and really it blowing up in your face? And it's like, didn't happen like you thought. And it takes you back to, are you going to believe God? Are you going to stand firm? Are you going to believe when you don't see? And just believe him at his word. And I just thought that was a great reminder as we walk into darker times that we just hold firm to the words that the Lord has told us. No matter what has happened in the past, no matter what it looks like in the future, that he is true. Mm. And it just, it really was a a good reminder that um, that is why he honored Abraham. He believed what he said. You know, to me, I feel that it should increase our faith as we become to know him and, and have a greater depth of understanding of who he is and why he's doing this. You know, we can't figure, there's some things that are just past finding out. And there's some things, you know, that are just higher than us. See, the Lord tells us his thoughts are higher than ours, but he's given us this book and he didn't write it down to be a book of poetry. He said, even to the disciples, when, you know, they were asking him, why do you, why do you speak to us in parables? And he says, because it's not given to them to understand the things of the kingdom. It's been given to you to understand. Now, granted, they didn't just understand the moment he spoke a parable. He would often go back and say, when I said this, this is what I meant. You know, and so to me, I believe that's what we get from the Holy Spirit today as we're unpacking the scripture. He's giving us, reminding us of the words of Jesus, but he's giving us understanding. He's leading us in truth. And so how the righteous are being refined in last days comes from our abiding in this word. We have got to abide in him. You know, when he says abide in me, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you. Well, he is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we've got to abide in this word. You know, and he says that the branch that does not abide, that it does not remain, it's broken off and thrown into the fire. You know, so we don't need to unpack what does that mean right at this moment. But the reality is it's so important that we remain, you know, and I think it's even more critical in the hour that we're in because just what Chris Grant said earlier the days are wicked. You know, that's why the Bible says redeem the time for the days are evil. And the more wickedness increases, the true sons of God will shine brightly. But I think it also will show that there might not be as many of them as you think, the true ones, you know. And so in that sense, it may become a little harder road, you know, because we need the unity. We need the we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe that's why the Lord said, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's what we're doing right now. It doesn't have to be in the four walls of a building. It's not the bricks and mortar. Do not forsake assembling together all the more as you see the day approaching, you know, and I, we're seeing these things happen. I just feel like to me, this is the most important thing. The important place we could be is putting oil in our lamps. You know, five were wise, five were foolish, five were going about their lives, enjoying it, living it up. They were all virgins, all 10 of them. You know, I think that the, the meaning we can glean from that is likely that they all 
thought they were Christian, you know, because they're all clean and pure. They're all virgins, but five were wise and five were foolish. And the bridegroom comes, you know, at an hour when no one's expecting and the door is shut and the five pound on it. And he says, depart from me, you know? And so to me, you know, we need to be concerned about being found um, faithful, being found doing what our father has commissioned us to do, what he's asked us to do. And at the end of the day, he wants to be with us. You know, he wants, and, and if we are spending time in his word, not just to check the box, but truly just to develop an intimacy because we want to know him. We just want to know him, you know, not to learn about him from an academic perspective, but to know our Lord and our savior and our God and our friend, you know, we, it's relationship that the Lord desires with us. You know, I can know the president of the United States, but he doesn't know me. You know, we can know all about somebody, but I can't go spend the night at their house. You know, they don't know me, you know, so this is, there's a difference when he's, you know, in Matthew seven, he says, many are going to say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in the streets? Didn't we, you know, cast out demons in your name? Sounds like Christian people to me. And he's going to say, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. you Krista, yeah. um, I like to uh, build upon that, what that looks like in today's term. Um, wasn't I part of the pancake breakfast? Didn't I do all these great things? Didn't I do everything? And um, we know the definition of sin is missing the mark. And it's just, you just don't, I don't know. I just, I think we just all need to continue to warn people and we need to just get under his bosom and just get comfortable and just say, Lord, thank you for showing me the way. Help me give the words to speak to people's souls mm -hmm. to save people from ultimately going to hell and, and being that person that just, when you think you're going to heaven and you're shocked and it's too late and it's just so tragic. So well, and I think what you said, getting comfortable with him, because I don't want to go beat people over the head with the Bible. I don't, you know, I, I just, I mean, I'm not holier than thou. I'm not, you know, righteous in my own strength. I only, it's only the righteousness of Christ in me that I can stand, you know, it's, but it's getting to a place where we really just love what he loves. And we realize that the days are short and what he's asked us to do was go and make disciples, you know, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. So we've, we've kind of gone down a lot of, boy, we've unpacked an awful lot tonight. <laughs> and uh, we were on all kinds of rabbit trails right now, but I think it's a good one. You know, I think the one where it ultimately leads us is back to what we continue to see over and over the theme in scripture, holiness, be holy for I am holy. You know, we've just got a call to holiness. I think there's, that's partly the purpose we see in all the covenants. The Lord's trying to get us to a place where we can understand him and understand what holiness looks like. And he, he's so kind to lead us and give us the example of Israel, because that's what he did. He gave, he gave Israel as the example to the world of how, what it looks like to be in relationship with God, you know, to obey and to disobey. What does it look like? We can see that through them. And so we are coming to the top of the hour here. Is there, are there any other thoughts or comments that anyone would like to share? Yes, please. I had one very briefly. See, um, as, as I was reading uh, uh, um, Jeremiah chapter 31 that you had mentioned, 
you know, God does one thing that he had been trying to do from the time men fell into sin. Men knew other gods. So what is amazing is that, you know, God does all of this in Ezekiel chapter uh, 36. He says, I, um, then I will bring uh, him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, um, on his troops, and on the many people who are with him, flooding rain, great, great hailstone, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am God. I see here God trying to establish his identity to the people to show that he's the all-powerful God. But then we see, we see something in, uh, in Jeremiah, the new promise he makes. He says, no more shall, they, shall every man teach his neighbor uh, because he will write you know, and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. So I just wanted to focus on the part of God's identity. In the Old Testament, he tries to establish himself, get himself known by the nation that he is the true God, that every other God that humanity worships is the false God. But then we see that he's making a promise. I will make that promise fulfilled by writing myself in everybody's heart. People will know, know, know that I am God. And no longer will one have to tell the other. The conscience that God has put in each and every one of us, knowing what we are doing wrong from right, and yet still choosing to do wrong. You know, So I was just extremely blessed by that particular uh, part of, of God's statement. Um, he's trying to let other people know who he is, and then he, he makes sure that everyone would always know who he is, and he doesn't have to fight to let people know who he is, and he fulfilled that through Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 Yeah, it's a lot better to be on the side where we're curious enough to seek him rather than having to find out the hard way. <laughs> Amen. Well, Phyllis, would you mind closing us out in prayer as we go? Lord, we just come to you and we just thank you so much for this Bible study tonight. Lord, our hearts are just so encouraged by knowing that you are a covenant-keeping God. And Father, you have looked down through the halls of eternity and time and you saw us and you saw our need. Father, you saw our need and you've provided it through Jesus. And we just thank you so much for that. Lord, we just pray that we would just ponder and chew on this Bible study tonight. Father, there's so much here, so much that really we need to know and understand as your children, because it gives us confidence in knowing that we are the child of the King, the King who, who has these amazing covenants down throughout the halls of time. And Father, you are so powerful in that you can keep them no matter what man or the enemy does to thwart them. So Father, just um, solidify these in our mind. Just take this scripture and make it come alive in our heart. Father, you say that your word is like a two-edged sword and it cuts to the heart of the issue. So Father, I pray that this scripture that we have studied this week would do just that and would convict us cause us to fall into repentance before you, but also, Father, to give us assurance of who we are as your children. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you were so faithful to our father Abraham and to his children and to his children's children. 
and father and ultimately to us you know my mind just imagines him him looking up at the stars and you telling him that you're going to give him offspring uh as many as is the stars can't be counted and father we were one of them that is so amazing father that is just so amazing we worship you tonight and we say worthy worthy is the lamb of god worthy father we love you in the name of yeshua we pray amen 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 well god bless all of you and i will look forward to seeing you again on monday night next week um in the in-between time i want to encourage you to um, go to tourtruth.com every day if you're able um, for the breadcrumb videos which are posted daily by the facilitators there's a devotional as well that goes with each day's reading um, so just want to make sure you know about that and I'll look forward to seeing you next week again. So God bless all of you. Shalom.